In our research, and we're preparing for Dr. Tony and Bruce Ebel to get here next week, um, we, talked, we, we did a lot of research on hurt and pain in life and get, getting wounded and the rocks and arrows that come at us every day. And uh, we think we've come up with a way, a, 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 way to, a sustainable way to avoid the hurts, to not even have them. So we've come up with this technology for preventing yourself from ever being wounded and hurt. And um, now I know that um, I, I know that this is this series is going to be about emotional hurts. And you're probably sitting there thinking, what good's a physical bubble suit going to do for the emotional pain that I feel when people put me down, disagree with me, abandon me, neglect me, and all the weird things that we do to each other all the time? How's a physical? I, I'll agree. It's not going to really help there. But metaphors are very important, right? That's why you wear, some people have rosary bead to remind you to pray. You have a cross around your neck to remind you that your sins are forgiven. So we feel like this technology, this bubble suit, will remind you to protect your inner self. It will remind you to think thoughts of protection and bring closure to those things that happen to you quickly in life. This is, I'm serious. So we think that's going to be a, real, uh, a really important movement that we're going to start. Okay? Don't worry, visitors will not be put off. They will understand. You'll be surprised. In fact, in fact, we, we got this idea from a very important organization. And the leader of this organization is actually uh, someone who's been playing in the National Football League for 17 years. He's 40 years of age, and he expects to play till he's 65. So we actually got the idea from that organization. So we're just going to show you a little video clip of the TB12 organization and where we got the idea. And we just are making a spiritual application of the bubble, the bubble suit. Okay? Okay. I think it's safe to say we've gone a bit overboard. There's no curse and there's no need for this bubble. This thing's ridiculous. Chase, I know it's only your second week here, man. I love the effort. I love your creativity. But come on, guys. A TB12 performance safety bubble? The past two weeks of my life have sucked. I can't eat. I can't sleep. I can't even train. We're better than this. You're better than this. We started TB12 to change the way we take care of our bodies. To help people achieve and sustain their peak performance, whatever that means in their lives, to keep people on the field. Yeah. 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 I'll tell you this: if I'm gonna play till I'm 65, 70, yeah. 70, yeah. I'm gonna play till I'm 75. It's because I'm willing to fight and die for my right to play this game. Look, we're a team. Look around. We've been at this for 15 years. You guys are my day ones. I love you. If you guys want to believe in curses, get out. Uh-uh. Yeah, I'm not leaving. But not here. Not up here. Not at TV12. Tom, I'm sorry. You're right. But I have a plan B. Presenting the TB12 Performance Safety Zone. 
a much bigger, better bubble that will allow a full range of motion. You can train in there. You can have visiting hours from your wife and kids. Absurd, right? Absurd. But I want to say something to you today. Yes, we're just kidding. Yes, we don't believe there's a bubble suit that can protect you in life, physically or emotionally. In fact, we don't believe there is a strategy for avoiding all the hurts of life. We don't believe there's a way that you can keep from getting offended. If I were to ask right now, how many of you can remember someone who offended you or hurt you? I don't really, I've seen this exercise done. I've done it many times. Hands go up immediately. And the, the surprising thing is not that you've been hurt, but the surprising thing for all of us is that we remember it so quickly. We quickly, quickly know the person, the people that have hurt us deeply in life. And this morning, the journey I want to take you, and I want to tell you in the beginning where I want to end. The journey that I want to take you on today is that there is real spiritual and emotional value to just admitting that hurt is inevitable. And that the glory is in your response, not the avoidance of pain. Desmond Tutu said, without forgiveness, there is no future. Um, all of us probably, if we opened up, we'd probably be surprised as we look around the room and we see people and we see one another and we all look pretty sophisticated and we all look good today and we all look like we, um, we took care to present ourselves before we came here today. And we would probably be surprised to, to hear the stories that are in this room. I know a lot of the stories in this room, been here 29 years, I know a lot of your stories. And I know there is a lot of history of hurt and neglect and people doing unbelievable things to you that you've had to overcome. And so many of you are heroes to me because you have, you have so, been so incredible at overcoming. And I know that so many of you in this room, you live, you live in victory in spite of so many things. There's so many awesome stories. And one of the ministries and programs that we love here is Celebrate Recovery, where we know that the people who go to that are just some people that I really elevate in my mind, those of you who go to Celebrate Recovery, and those of you who shared with me that you go there, because most of you have a story of a lot of hurt and a lot of pain, but you've come to that point in your life when you say, I'm not going to let what happened to me define me. I'm not going to let the abuse define me anymore. God has a better plan for my life. So we all have our story uh, of different kinds of resentment. It doesn't have to be anything serious. I, I remember as a child now, I, I will, uh, you, most of you know my brother Joe, and he's been here many times, and he and I, we love each other so much today, and we have for a long, long time. Uh, but we had to make peace many years ago because uh, as a kid, my brother was six years older than me, and um, I, I don't know uh, if this is, I think this is pretty normal for an older brother, older siblings, uh, really find great delight in tormenting younger siblings. Is that, is that across the board? Is that, 
My brother, we didn't have a television so growing up, so my brother needed a source of entertainment and, and pleasure. And he found, uh, I was ex- extremely, I was a very pretty sensitive kid. I think it came out like that, being emotionally sensitive. And so I would never disappoint him when he wanted a reaction. I would never disappoint him. When, when a, a classic picture of uh, he and I are, are visiting with Santa Claus, and Joe has a huge black eye uh, in that picture from where I sailed a book across the room, and the corner of the book caught him in the eye. But when I tell you a few, a few anecdotes, you will understand totally why. In fact, you will wonder why he's alive when I tell you a few stories. Now, we had, uh, now, we had a, 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 you, you don't relate to this, I know most of you, but we had a very Pentecostal church. So when people worship, they got down and worship. I mean, they got down and they, got, they worshiped God. I mean, with all their, their might. And we had one, a man named Billy Byers, who when he would begin to feel the spirit move, Billy would dance before God. And his dance really looked like a, uh, I've never been to the performance of, of uh, Stomp, but it, it, was, it was Stomp. He would stomp. Well, my, one day my brother has, sees me. He gets me positioned, unknown to me, right in front of a mud puddle. And he says, Phil, dance like Billy Byers. And, of course, I ended up in the mud puddle. And that just brought him great delight. He would, he would do things like this. He would, uh, he would f- uh, fill a RC Cola. Remember RC Cola? Anybody but me remember RC Colas? RC Colas and Moon Pies, right? They were the best. He would fill an RC cola bottle filled with, full of cold coffee, put the lid back on, and he would pop the lid off, and he would say, I'm, you know, I bet you'd like some of this, wouldn't you? Say, yeah, well, I'm not going to give you any. And I would have a fit. I've got to have some. And finally, he would relent and let me have it. He would, he would go to the trouble of baking cookies and putting black pepper in the chocolate chip cookies just to get me to scream and to have a fit. He would do the same thing with the cookies. He would, he would take, uh, you remember those booby traps? It's a little firecracker thing with two strings on the end. And he would tie them to a door. And then we would be sitting doing whatever we were doing. And he would beg me to get him something from the room. And I'd go, oh, yeah, I'll go. Because I'll go. I really... I really wanted to, I wanted his approval. I wanted to please him. He was big brother. Uh, if you knew Joe in those days, especially he was the life of the party. He was somebody that you just wanted to make him happy. So I would run in the room and pow, the thing would go off. And, and uh, he, this happened, and I know, you know, it wasn't a matter he didn't love me. Uh, in fact, he found me very useful. He loved me a lot. But I can tell you, even though these are silly, silly, silly little stories, when you live in that, at least my way of looking, now, now it would be a different story, I think, today, but I, but I didn't have that understanding today that I know now. But uh, when you live with that, I, I got very resentful. I mean, the resentful just grew over the years till I could hardly control it, this huge resentment. It was, it was actually at a... Some of you are familiar with uh, Institute in Basic Youth Conflicts, and it was actually at an Basic Youth Conflict seminar that I went to when I was like 18, and I, I really dealt with that. And, I, and, and, and Joe and I just really, our relationship really took a beautiful turn, and we've had a great relationship ever since. Um, here's the deal. 
And this is hard, going to be hard to hear. You don't have to hear it right now. Just If you can't hear it, just put it in a folder called Things I Can't Hear Right Now. What do you do? Don't throw it away. Don't, 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 put, don't put it in the little trash bin on your computer, but put it in a folder called Things I Can't Hear Today. But it's really more important how you respond to what happens to you than what happens to you. I said it's really more important how you respond to what happens to you than what happens to you. It's interesting that the two times Jesus instructed prayer he talked about forgiveness. The two times he talked about prayer, he talked about forgiveness. It seems that in the end, this is so true, what I just said. What is the implication of Jesus bringing up offenses of others every time he wants to talk about me being intimate with God? Jesus didn't talk about my faith or lack thereof only when I pray. He didn't seem overly concerned about my sins against him when I pray. But we read in Mark chapter 11, verse 24, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe you've received it, you will, it will be yours. There's faith. Yeah, faith is important. And then he segues with, without, any, without, any, without any transitional statement. He segues right into, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. We're not going to take a deep dive into forgiveness today or explaining it. That's, that's going to be done throughout the series. It's going to be done, uh, Dr. Hebel will do that next Sunday. And really, uh, Tony and, and Bruce have really gone into some churches across the country and seen huge transformation in the lives of congregation because congregations get bitter. Churches get bitter. Churches, a lot of unforgiveness goes on in a church congregation because a lot of things happen here. A lot of decisions are made and a lot of things go on and we can really get toxic in this room. So I'm not saying that's true here, but they've had great results around the country with this. In verse 25, Jesus, wasn't, Jesus' question wasn't, will I be sinned against? His question was, will I stay offended? Shockingly, he says, if I stay offended, God won't hear me. In Matthew 6, the most famous prayer passage of all time, Jesus makes forgiveness a part of the exercise of the model prayer. Remember the request that spurred these 10 verses was, Lord, teach us to pray. And right smack in the middle or near the end, really, he says, pray or forgive. But let's read it, Matthew 6, 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know the rest of it. But he says in the end, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you 
But if you do not forgive men their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. There's nothing in there about people making things right with us. There's nothing in there. And I know we all dream, and I know it would be so beautiful if everybody who's hurt us would come and acknowledge that they've hurt us. And they would ask our forgiveness. That would be so beautiful. And that's, that's, that's an awesome thing. There's great power in apology. And I encourage, if you've offended someone and you're at fault, you should take care of it because you want to have intimacy with that person. And you can have the same intimacy with a person who won't admit that they've sinned. But this is not about only having intimacy with another person. It's about having intimacy with God. The fact that Jesus is so insistent that a relationship with him be independent on our ability to forgive others is testimony to the inevitability that people will wound us. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. As sure as we get up in the morning, people are going to disappoint us. They're going to hurt us. They're, they're not going to come through for us. They're going to use the power that they have instead of to bless us. Sometimes they will not use it to do so. They will, they will do this not, not always because they intend to hurt us. I think most hurts, I'm sure, I don't just think, I am sure that not most hurts are unintentional. It's the things that we unintentionally do to one another. Here's the fact. The whole problem started as everything started in the Garden of Eden. Anything I believe that you want to understand about life, anything that you want to understand about the plan of God, anything that you want to understand about yourself can be found in the first four chapters of Genesis. Because in the first four chapters of Genesis, the groundwork was set for how society would go, how the human race would go, how relationships would go. Everything was all set in how relationships would go in the first four chapters of the Bible. So if you want to understand how life works, always keep going back and read, read that amazing, beautiful poem that describes creation and the original man and the original sin. Our rebellion in Eden, we rebelled against God. I think that's an accepted theological fact. Our rebellion in Eden turned us into offense factories. Our rebellion turned us into offense factories. You know the story, Adam and Eve. Eve, Eve takes the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She shares with her husband. Immediately, something in their DNA changed, and they became blamers and shamers. Immediately, something changed in the way they approached one another. They made fig leaves for themselves. They didn't make fig leaves for one another, they made fig leaves for themselves. Adam began to take care of himself and began to try to hide his shame. And he began to try to hide her shame. And there began to be a struggle. And among the human race, there was this pattern of hiding and hurling. And it's continued to this day. Nothing has changed. Let the blames begin. We began by deeply and routinely failing one another. Let's see what happens when God shows up in the Garden of Eden. God shows up, Genesis 3, 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, the serpent failed. Genesis 3, 16, to the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pain in childbearing because of what you did. To Adam, because you listened to your wife and ate. Everybody failed everybody. 
we are offense factories because we fail one another. Even when we don't try to, we fail one another. I fail people every day. Walked into the church this morning. Within minutes, I ran into Jim and Robin. I told Jim and Robin I would call them yesterday. I forgot to call them. Please forgive me. <laughs> hey, some of you have promised you'd call me and you didn't as well. We're offense factories. We don't even mean to. We don't even try to. We've, you know, that can be very devaluing. When someone says they're going to call you, that can be very devaluing to you. Because it could say to you, he wasn't thinking about us. He doesn't really care about us. Now, that may not be true, but that's, that's how we process things. It's very, very difficult. Relationships are very fragile. I said relationships are very fragile. Steve Light, the psychologist that I talk about quite often, practices in Franklin, he always tells me relationships are a two-legged stool. To be stable, they need the third leg. Now, the unhealthy thing we do, and we're not going to get off on this, believe me, we're not going to get off on it. The unhealthy thing we do is we do what psychologists call triangulation. And we go find somebody who was not a part of the problem originally, and they're not going to be part of the solution, and we get them involved. Why? Because we need the third leg. Because it feels unstable, just me and Robin and Jim, that's unstable. I didn't call them. They're having an inner conversation about the fact that I don't like them. They're having an inner conversation that I, that, that I, that I uh, do not value them because they're sure I called other people. And, and so what they didn't do, they didn't call any did, did they? Did, did they call any of you and tell you that I didn't call them? That's the human tendency, though. And that's, that's what creates division is when we go get the other person. And what we're supposed to do, notice he says, when you stand praying, forgive. God must become the third leg. Jesus Christ. If you'll make Jesus Christ your third person, then you'll have stability in your relationships. That's the only way to have stability in your relationships. If you will make Jesus Christ the third person, if you try to make another family member, you try to make me or somebody else the third person, we, we, are, we will likely fail you. So th that's what happens. We, we deeply and routinely fail one another, and then we proceed by playing the blame game. Well, you know, I feel embarrassed that I didn't call you. I'm so glad you gave me this illustration this morning. <laughs> I didn't know how I was going to explain this. I feel bad that I didn't call you, so I look for something to blame. Oh, oh this is not true yesterday, but I, I'm just out of thin air. Sherry gave me so much to do. She, just had, she had so many jobs for me that I didn't have time to think about calling Jim Robbins. Sherry's the bad person. She, it's her fault that I didn't call you, all right? Or, or the, the church, the, the, the load of carrying this church. You wouldn't believe what Saturdays are like trying to prepare for this church. And this, they give so much to do, and, and there's not enough people, and there's not enough money, and I, I can't get the board to, to, to uh, and, and I can't get approval to hire any more people. And uh, That's why I didn't call you. We proceed by playing the blame game. Genesis 3.12, the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me the fruit from the tree 
The woman said, verse 13, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Do you notice that nobody took personal responsibility? What? Nothing's changed. There was no conversation about responsibility and forgiveness. Only Jesus, only God came up with that idea when he killed the lamb. He said, I'm not, I'm not going to argue with you about who did what. We're going to kill a, round, a lamb. What, what was God doing when he killed that lamb? And he clothed him. He put clothing on them. What was he doing? He was saying the solution is not blame, but the solution is forgiveness. The solution is to put our sins on, on Jesus. Think about this as we go forward in the series. The Lord, think about this, this verse. It's not going to go up on the wall for you, but it, let me say it to you. The Lord has laid on him, Christ, the iniquity of us all. Iniquity means moral hurt. God, I, I know we all claim that for ourselves, don't we? But forgiveness is when you claim it for your offenders. Forgiveness is when you see their sins superimposed on Jesus Christ on the cross. You see the abuse, the neglect, even the unintentional stuff. You see it on the cross. We get stuck, however, by our hypersensitive sensitivity to shame. Genesis 4.3 says, In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Now, this is Adam and Eve's son, two sons. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Now, this is a very, very important story as it relates to forgiveness, as it relates to hurt, as it relates to why we feel hurt. Notice the, you, you can feel the emotion that Cain felt. He felt this huge sense of shame. Remember when Adam and Eve, the first emotion that they felt was shame. They were naked and they didn't, and, and the Lord came and dealt with their shame by giving them the lamb. He gave them the lamb to cure them of their shame. And so Cain and Abel get in this uh, situation where they both want intimacy with God and they both want to serve God and they both want to worship him. So Cain brings a, a meat offering because he was a rancher. Abel brought an offering of the soil. He brought an offering of grain or something like that. And it says that God was pleased with Abel's offering and not pleased with Cain. Now there's a million questions that I have about this story. We're not going to try to answer all of them. There's some things I don't understand about this story at all. But what I want to focus on is the, is the anger and the rage that Cain, that eventually led him to kill his brother. I want to focus on the offense that he felt. He was offended at his brother and he was offended at God. Solomon said this, an offended brother is more unyielding than a fortified city and disputes are like the barred gates of a citadel. Why? Because shame is unbearable. Abel won the contest for the father's approval and Cain's shame was unbearable. 
there's so much I don't understand about this passage, but one thing I know, this is absolutely without a doubt the human experience. This is the human experience. We crave the approval of whoever has the power and not getting it can be devastating. Not getting it. That, that can be the person sitting next to you. It can be your children. You can be a parent and, and crave the approval of your children. And they, when they withhold it from you, there's a feeling, I have failed. I am a failure. That you can crave approval from your spouse and when they will not give it to you, you can feel, I'm a failure. That shame is a very toxic and powerful emotion because we crave it. There's something about what was born into us was a fear of rejection. Well, that was born into us when we sinned. You see, Adam and Eve made the deal with the devil. And the deal with the devil is we will experience good and evil. Before that, they were protected from good and evil. They were protected by God. God took care of everything. You just enjoy me. You just enjoy each other. There will be no opportunity to, to get involved in things that are going to destroy your lives and destroy your marriages. You won't even have the opportunity to be involved. You'll never even know about those things. You'll never even know that all those things that exist that can destroy your life and destroy your marriage and destroy your love. You won't even know those things exist. But Adam and Eve said, no, we want to know about all those things. They said, we want to know about all these things and we will take care of it. God, you can, we can take care of it. We don't need you protecting us and we don't need you being the all protective God. We can take care of it. And they made a deal with the devil and they got what they wanted, which was to, we all experience in our relationship with one another, we experience the good and we evaluate it. See, the knowledge of good, it wouldn't be they wouldn't experience good, but they wanted the knowledge of it. You're, you have the ability now to evaluate, was I kind to you? Was I dismissive of you? You have the ability to, to evaluate. And you have the ability to evaluate and form judgments. You have the ability to evaluate whether I'm valuing you or whether I'm not valuing you, and you form judgments. And now you are, instead of living with just the approval of God, that's all, that's all Adam and Eve needed before the fall. They just needed the approval of God. They bathed and they basked in the approval of God. Now they were struggling in approval from one another. Now, why do I insist that it will be helpful to stop living in denial? Just so you won't, just so you won't be disappointed. Is that why I'm saying that? Stop living in dis denial so you won't dis be disappointed. Just so you won't get your hopes up. I don't want anybody getting your hopes up. So uh, just become a cynic. So let's just, let's just get over believing it's, it's going to be anything but hell to live on earth. I want to just get rid of expectations. No, no, a million times no. This is not a joyful life, and this is not a life of love. This is not the point in allowing Luke 11, 2, 40, 40 through 24 through 26, or Matthew 6, verse 5 through 15, and the Genesis account of that first dysfunctional family this is not the point of getting you to accept the inevitability of hurt just, because you, just so you can become a fatalist. And I know a lot of people like that. I know a lot of people who say, well, you can't trust anybody. You can't believe it. I'm, I'm just going to protect myself from getting hurt by, by not letting anybody get close to me. And I'm going to protect myself getting hurt by believing that everybody's going to hurt me. No, that's what some of us have done. And so it's not a pretty sight. You become a, what we call a fatalist. Fatalists live joyously. They're resigned to be disappointed. You can't live like that because too often and more often than not, people will amaze you and bless you. So if you block people off from your life, 
because they're going to hurt you, neither will you experience the incredible amount of compassion and love that resides in most human beings. Another thing a fatalist does is they live defensively. They reject before being rejected. So they, you've heard this statement, hurting people hurt people. People who live like this hurt a lot of people. Fatalists also live negatively. You're the, you become an ER, always waiting on the next shoe to drop. That's a miserable way to live. That's not what God has for you. That's not where we're going in the series. Fatalists also live separately. Engagement requires optimism. And I know it's hard sometimes because I've been disappointed many times as you have. It's hard sometimes to get back on the horse and ride again. It's hard to get in my position to go back and pastor the church even though there's rejection, even though people do what they're going to do. But my relationship, my primary relationship, the third leg of the stool cannot be you. It has to be God. I said the third leg of the stool has to be God. So I have to keep coming back and loving you, not because you love me, but because God loves me. Amen? 2 Corinthians 5.16 says, God reconciled himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Because we understand that our estrangement and difficulties from one another is a symptom of the fall, we also understand how we respond to pain. Here's the reason why we need to accept that there is hurt in life. Is that although our, our estrangement is a symptom of the fall, God's way of enlisting our partnership is to help and become like him in reversing the impact of the fall. God is inviting us to live a life where we're going to experience pain, and he's inviting us to learn how to respond with power and redemption so we become partners with him in redeeming this planet. He's making us partners. And see, here's what a lot of people don't get. A lot of people don't get that God gave man dominion over the earth. And God never took that dominion back. So anything God wants to accomplish in the earth, he is bound by his own word. He's bound by his own integrity that he can't just jump in front of us like some helicopter parent. But God has to work with us. The Bible says when Jesus came, now listen closely to this. The Bible says when Jesus came and worked with the disciples, that the disciples went God working with them, doing signs and wonders. God enlists the partnership. Jesus Christ had to become a man in order to redeem us. He had to become not the son of God. He had to become the son of man. So it's vital that you learn to play your redemptive role. So you don't resign yourself to the fact that people are going to hurt you because you become a fatalist and a cynic. That is a wrong motivation for doing it. You resign yourself and you accept it because you are, you're accepting your anointing. You're accepting your anointing to become a redeemer and respond to hurt the way Jesus did when he went to the cross. <laughs> Disappointment and hurt from others is not coincidental, but it is God's strategic way of forcing you and I into a God-man partnership of demonstrating reconciliation. I want, to, I want to bring this home in a second. But going back and talking about Cain, there's something very powerful in the story of Cain and Abel. 
See, when we live in denial of our differences or treat offenses as an aberration, we're failing to take our place in the world as redeemers of lost and badly broken humanity. The granting of dominion over the earth by God was humans never rescinded by God. That was never rescinded by God. So it is for the purpose of dominion through our life that we are ordained by God to fight the love war on the battlefield of offenses. It is ordained of God that we fight the love war on the battlefield of offenses. Jesus said, offenses must come. They are not coincidental, but they are opportunities to co-rule the world with Jesus Christ. Now, write that down somewhere, because that's also one of those things you may not be, don't put it in the trash can on your computer, put it in the folder to be read later. Now let's close today by talking about Cain, okay? When Cain was marinating in these feelings of rage and shame, because, quite frankly, God had offended him. God will offend you sometimes. I'm just telling you. He will offend you. God had offended him by letting him know, hey, you're not measuring up quite like your brother is today. You didn't bring an acceptable sacrifice. Now, don't get distracted by the fact that neither Cain nor Abel set out to hurt. I mean, I mean, neither God nor Abel set out to hurt Cain. That's irrelevant. The emotion of resentment don't care about context. They only care about the fact that I feel disrespected and shamed. But when God approached Cain, listen, listen, please, to try to head off a bad decision, he said to him these words. Listen, this is not going to go up on the wall. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. There where he said you must master it is the Hebrew word timshel, T-I-M-S-H-E-L, and it means to rule. In other words, God was saying, Cain, more important than what you perceive is happening to you right now, is you realizing that I have given you the power over your emotions. And if you don't take power over your emotions, you will do something bad that you will regret. And he's saying, Cain, I want you to dig deep and discover the redemptive power that you have. You have the power to rule over yourself. I have given that to you. This insight is the inspiration for John Steinbeck's East of Eden. It's the basis of the redemptive insight that God wants to grow us by allowing people to walk on our self-esteem sometimes. God wants to use rejection to develop in us an empowerment that, would, that is more beneficial. What would have been more beneficial to Cain? To have his sacrifice accepted or him to discover the power that resided within him over his own self? I say to you that what was more powerful than having his sacrifice accepted was him to have the self-discovery that he was really a very powerful man. The group Mumford and Sons has a song, in fact, entitled Tim Shell. They never mention this, the, the, the word in the song. But here's some of the lyrics to that song. You are not alone in this, and you are not alone in this. As brothers, we will stand and we will hold your hand. We will hold your hand. But I tell you the night, but I will tell the night and whisper, lose your sight. 
but I can't move the mountains for you. Wow. Did you catch that lyric right there? I can't move the mountains for you. That's what God was saying to, to Cain. Cain, I can't do this for you. You are the only one who has power over yourself. You are the only one that has power and you can have victory over your feelings of rejection. You can have victory over your feelings of shame. You can have victory over your feelings of being offended. I want to teach you how powerful you are, Cain. We'll have another chance to do the sacrifice thing. We'll do that again next year. Now you know what I need. Go over to your brother and get a calf next, or, or, or get, get uh, I actually realized in, early in the sermon, I got it backward. Uh, Abel grew the, grew the animal and Cain Stop it. So, so that was the problem. Uh, go to your brother Cain and get a lamb next time and we'll be all set. That's not a problem. But, but what's more important, Cain, and I'm probably mixing Cain and Abel as I'm talking. They always do that. always do that. What's more important, Cain, is that you know that I've given you power and victory over feelings of bitterness. What I, what's more important is you can control you. You can't control your brother. You can't control me. Don't even start thinking you're going to control me. Because I am God. But you can control you. Somebody say amen this morning. Hallelujah. Is this good preaching? You can move your mountain. That's what God wants you to know. You can move your mountain of pain. Your mountain of shame. You can move it. Amen. Hallelujah. Now into him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. We begin this message by acknowledging the problem deep within, which is hurt. We end this message by acknowledging the power that is deep within you, which is healing. The problem deep within you is hurt. The power within you is healing. Tim Shell is translated in the New American Standard Bible, thou mayest. What this says is that even in your hour of deepest hurt, rejection and rage, you have a choice. Are you ready to stop living a they made me life and move into a thou mayest life? I get it. I still have the remnants of old Cain in my soul. I get it. But God is gradually convincing me that ruling myself is more important than ruling the behavior of someone else. Along the way, I'm discovering that my performance, my ideas, and my contributions aren't the basis of my relationship with God anyway. My relationship with Him is based on the fact that He just loves me. That He just loves me. And I want to receive His love. And I have so many times in my life, I've let what other people do get in between me and God. God didn't abandon Cain. God didn't abandon him. God made a special trip to visit with him. And you're going to see, if you follow the rest of the story, you see how much God loved Cain, how much he took care of him. He, even after he killed his brother, God took care of him and God loved him. I know this is a hard shift for some of you, and some of you aren't ready to make it. You're not ready to make it because you've been really hurt. And if I, I heard your story, I'd probably get hurt with you. 
because we can really be we can really be bad to each other and we can be crazy and it's so hard sometimes to be a person i tell that god tell god that all the time i said god do you realize how hard it is to be a human and he said yeah i sent my son and he was human and you see what happened to him and he he didn't get better the last prayer he prayed was father forgive them okay god you got me Maybe you need prayer about this this morning. You're on that journey of dealing with the past. These prayer partners are waiting on you right now. Communion's waiting. Let's move into response time. God bless you. You have been listening to the Bethany Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us online at bccma.org. Thank you, and God bless.